morning and please be seated. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Keep that in mind. In Spanish, there's a tongue-in-cheek expression about gossip. El bochinche no me gusta, pero me entretiene. I do not like gossip, but I find it entertains me. It usually comes right after someone says something like, did you hear about such and such? Or can you believe that so and so did that? Its intention is to motivate the person about to share and the listener to listen up. Our passage today falls in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount and theology professor Zaida Maldonado Perez suggests that surely about now in this long sermon, folks, Jesus may want to perk us up and that it wouldn't be surprising for Jesus to include a bit of shock factor to do so. There are six of these passages in Matthew 5 you have heard it said, but I say to you. We hear four of them today. You may have to wait a while before we get the others, but they include things like turning the other cheek and loving your enemies. The ones we got today deal with anger, adultery, divorce, and lying. Lucky me. There are many ways to interpret our passage, and I would love to be a fly on the wall of several churches this morning to see what other preachers are doing with this passage, because I'm certain that some are focusing on the authority of Jesus, some will hone in on one particular sin. We had many from which to choose. I think most would agree that Jesus is adding that internal piece, though, to get to the heart of the matter by calling people not just to obey God out of some false piety, but from a desire that stems from the very core of their being, from their love, with which would, something that would be totally countercultural. All of these make sense. The Ten Commandments outlaw murder, but Jesus tracked that murder to its nest to its home of the angry heart. He tracked adultery to the lair in the lustful look. Jesus sought to prevent these deadly deeds of murder and adultery by pointing to the root, which could be as simple as some kind of hidden grudge that lies beneath it all. I can't tell you how often this hang happens with some of our gangs in our community. I know personally one young 25-year-old man who was killed because he wore the wrong colored shirt. The perfect example of a grudge between groups of people. As Jesus moves to address demeaning name call, whether it's blockhead or fool or whatever your choice label is, Jesus knows that when we label another, we destroy the dignity of that person. 
And the very thing that we promise to respect in our baptismal covenant, we throw out. Another interpretation includes Jesus calling us to go to any length to effect reconciliation, even, even when we're the innocent party. For clarification, never let it be said that this does, this does not mean you live to endanger, abuse, or in turmoil. Reconciliation is something that happens between you and God, and, and it's, not, it's not but, it's and, I invite you to be open to ways of reconcil reconciliation with a dangerous person and how that takes place. And again, it's not to twist any kind of words to say that I think you should live in abuse. Absolutely not. To most of all, us do not kill has no relevance since most of us would never consider literally killing anyone. But as Jesus equates this to being angry, suddenly do not kill becomes a decision that we have to make every day. And herein lies the rub. Most of us can probably grasp that anger, if it gets out of hand, it could lead to murder. Most of us hopefully would stop before that. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He keeps going in and he gets personal. And he goes after adultery, divorce, and breaking promises. Nobody gets out of the room. All of the meanings that I read and that other people have tried to come up with, I think they're very solid and they're, they're true. But for today, I had to agree with the Methodist pastor, Rachel May, when I read her saying that somehow... It seems spiritually lazy for me to say, let's just love everybody, get along, and all shall be well. It's a true statement. But what Jesus is calling us to do is to make decisions every single day that will set us up for success, that will set us up for that love. And if we are called not to be angry, not to commit adultery, divorce or to swear falsely, we're going to need to learn to manage conflict. And to do that, I finally say, oh, something I can at least learn how to do. Not that I get it right. Well, there's a lot I'd like to say about the conflict that comes from adultery, divorce, breaking oaths and promises. I realize it's not necessarily pulpit appropriate. I did have a good chuckle with my two colleagues this week, Philip and Gray, about how I got the privilege to preach on the divorce passage this morning. While I have been married to my husband, Don, for over 30 years, it is a fact, it's no secret, that I was married in a previous life. I have a beautiful son and two grandchildren as a result. Again, there was a lot I'd still like to say about the subject, but some things are better suited for small groups and one-on-one. -on -one. My door's open. But what I can say here with 
everything and believe with my whole heart is that if we would learn to deal with conflict in a constructive way, we would make the better choices that the, the writer of Deuteronomy calls us to. We want life. Who wouldn't choose life? But sometimes it takes work. Conflict management requires we an honesty that comes from, it, does, it doesn't come from some re, a religious formula, but it requires a, con, a character that allows us to say what we mean and mean what we say constructively. As Scott and Holly Stoner often say, say what you mean, mean what you say, just don't say it mean. Public life and language has been so corrupted and these distortions have conditioned us to think that mean speech is acceptable. Dr. Scott Black Johnston, who spoke this very week right here in this space, talked about how we rip one another apart when someone in politics, in religion, or in marriage doesn't agree with our perspective or our practice. Dr. Black Johnston exhorted us to pursue this difficult work of managing conflict. And he mostly noted that it's the people of faith, it is us, we, that need to light that way. He encouraged us to recommit to our highest principles, our virtues, and I quote, to turn hearts poisoned by cynicism into instruments of love. Well, I will be darned if it didn't just come back to love everybody, be kind, and all shall be well. Love is what it's all about. Jesus is what it's all about. But we accomplish this when we communicate. We can go our entire lives without ever embracing it. And some of us have to learn management conflict to manage conflict, to communicate. Marriage counselors often report that poor communication is the greatest single cause of domestic difficulty. Sometimes just realizing that we have choices gets us halfway there. Just recognizing we have a choice with our words, with our actions, what we'll do with that lustful look or some racist comment that comes from someone we otherwise totally respect, it begins with the process. It, but it's too easy sometimes to believe we just don't have a choice. Cut them off. They said too much. They believe something different. They're not of us. They're not of Apollos. They're not of Paul. When we assume that it's the only way it's got to be all the way it's always been done or the way everyone else does it. That that's the only way. Then we are lost. Gehenna or hell. You knew I couldn't let that slip by after three times being said, right? <laughs> okay. It was literally the Valley of Hinnon on the southwest slopes of Jerusalem and it was used as a garbage dump. Trash was burned there continually, and there was a continual smoldering fire. 
Now, I'm not going to get stuck here today because I have no doubt in some of the other churches, this may be just the focus of the entire preacher this morning. But Jesus is warning us of the consequences for letting things smolder. And he invites us into a new way, get to the root of the problem and deal with it. Christians have long struggled to fulfill Jesus' desired way of life. Change, conflict, that's going to occur. Marriages, relationships, work. When we realize we have a choice, we can grow. We can choose the life that God calls us to choose. To quote Scott Stoner again, he says, change is inevitable. Growth is optional. God, it's we heard, God is one that causes the growth. But sometimes we may have to embrace it. And some, there's something about our shared commitment to God is what helps us to grow. God uses us. And even when we don't know where that growth's going to take us, he uses us to accomplish it regardless. Amen.